You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Today I've got some different things the Lord has been stirring up in my heart, but I want to start with this. And I, we all have mountains and problems that we're dealing with in our lives. But here's what I've learned about the Lord. Whenever the Lord wants to change a person or change a situation, he always puts his word in their mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but when God puts his word in your mouth, all of a sudden his word becomes very effective towards whatever it is that you're facing in your life. In fact, an evangelist with Jesus right now, uh, Reinhard Bonnke, he passed away several years ago. When he was a missionary, he was struggling, taking care of one another. Anyway, one time he was, he had to go ahead and preach and the crowd was expecting miracles. And the Lord said this to him, and I want you to write it down. It's a very powerful statement. The Lord said that when you put my word in your mouth, it'll be as powerful as my word in my mouth. And I thought about that. That's awesome. And that's what a lot of us need here today. We need to understand something that whatever you're facing, it's Christ within you that can give you the victory that God has called you to personally. So if you've been struggling, whatever, I'm praying today that this word will get down into your heart because once it gets down into your heart, it will not return void. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. He says that it will not return void, but it'll accomplish what I have pleased and it'll prosper for the thing that I've sent. In other words, he'll prosper in your marriage. It'll prosper in your business. It'll prosper in your finances. Whatever area you're struggling with today, if you get the word of God in your mouth as a believer, it will in fact not return void. Are you excited about that? We can stop right there and go home and be blessed. Praise God. All right, I want you to turn, and we're going to look at some scriptures here, Romans chapter 5. And this is the main text I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you some things that maybe you've never seen before from this. Here, the Apostle Paul is talking about how the first Adam, when he sinned, death was spread onto everyone. Every person born into this planet has death that has been passed on to him because of his transgression. And it says that, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Make a note of that, from Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came, uh, came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came uh, uh, from many offenses resulted in justification. Now watch this next part. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, talking about Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now here's the part I want you to see. 
in the verse, he's talking about how death was passed on because of Adam. In the beginning, God told Adam, have dominion over my creation. And God doesn't go back on his word. So when Adam sinned, he committed what some have referred to as high treason. And when he did, he died spiritually. And when you die spiritually, you're no longer, you're dead to God. So God could no longer operate through him, but Satan could operate through him. And that's where Satan hijacked this world system. It was through the fall of Adam. But here's the great news. When Jesus came, he turned everything around. He's called the last Adam. He came and he won where the first Adam failed. And he took all of his sins upon himself, rose up on the third day and sat down on high. And now he has reinstated the reigning power of Christ in our lives. Amen? <clears throat> Just like in the beginning. But in the verse, it says something very unique. It says that death reigned, watch this, from Adam to Moses. That's odd. Why did he say that death reigned from Adam all the way up to Jesus? Why does he stop at Moses? Because what happened during the time of Moses? There was a covenant made between them and, and God, and the covenant had the commandments, but it also had sacrifices. So when they sinned, they would offer up a sacrifice, and their sins were covered. And even though they sinned all the time, they just kept offering more and more sacrifices. That's why that generation with Joshua was able to possess the promised land. It was because of the sacrifices that covered their sins. Now, they, they don't have it as good as we do because Jesus came and did one sacrifice for one time at all time for the God's people. And now we're in a position that we're justified before God. And when you're justified before God, it means you have the right to the blessings of God. You have the right to be healed. You have the right to prosper. You have the right to have a great family. You have the right to be an overcomer. You have the right to do this. Say amen, everybody. You have the right. It's because Christ has imputed his righteousness to you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus. Now, here's something that I've noticed, and maybe this is a personal observation. Some people are more prone to demand their rights than other people. And I'm talking about women. Don't shout me down. This is a good preaching. Women seem to have this natural thing in them where they, it's, they just want, if they have the right to it, they're going to get it. You know, when we, I go Christmas shopping or whatever, I usually buy the wrong things. And I say, oh, it's not that bad, honey, I'll wear it. She said, no, you take it back. And I say, why don't you take it back? Most guys, when they want to take it back to get what is right for those, they give it to their wife. Is that, is that all I'm going to get this morning? Is that just, bleh. Come on, let's do better than that, praise God. Now, this is actually, God knows this too, because when Israel was coming out of Egypt, uh, the, God told them, I want you to go to each of the families of Egypt, and I want you to take their wealth. Remember, they left Egypt, and they spoiled the Egyptians. They took all their money and so forth. Who did he send to do that? The women, praise God. Why didn't he send the men? Because the women have this natural tendency, I want to receive what is right. I want you to know, whatever you're struggling with right now, you have the right to a better life. You have the right to overcome. You have the right to be an overtaker. You have the right to be the head, not the tail. You have the right to do that. 
And when we look at this, I love the verse because it says that we will reign in life through this righteousness. He didn't say in the sweet by and by when we're there, it's going to be great, walking in clouds and whatever. No, right now, God wants you to reign in righteousness. I want you to turn to somebody right now and say, God wants you to reign right now in righteousness. All right, turn to that person you don't really like that much and tell them the same thing. <laughs> he wants you to reign. Say reign. Reign in righteousness. Now, the reason why this is so important in this particular message is because the scriptures tell us that when the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? In other words, talking about the, the foundation of morals, the foundation of the Ten Commandments, when that crumbles, it puts the righteous in a bad spot. How many know in America today a lot of that has crumbled? But I'm telling you by the authority of Christ that we can still reign in Christ. We can still prevail in Christ. Because we have the right to a better life in spite of the fact that we are resisted from this world system. God has still given us the right. Now here's something that will really help you. When you're studying scripture, don't over-spiritualize everything. Everything spiritual is for a physical outcome. Everything spiritual in the word is for a physical outcome. I give you an example. People go, well, I'm going broke, but I got peace. I'm sick and I'm dying, but I got peace. Oh, Lord, I, I, I got joy, but I, I'm, the ship's going under. Hallelujah. The fruit of the Spirit is designed by God to help you through it so that you can have answered prayer. In other words, remember Paul said this about prayer. He said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What's it guarding? It's guarding against doubt. It's guarding against fear. In other words, peace is designed to protect your faith so that your faith will bring to pass whatever God has called you to. Patience is designed to give you patience while God is bringing your miracle to pass. Love is there to keep you from being offended, put you in a position where your faith is working. Say amen, praise God. So don't overlook it and say it's only spiritual. It's for an outcome in your life that will bring success in your life and breakthrough. Now, write this down. Psalms 115, verse 16. It says, oh, the heavens are the Lord's. And then it says, this earth belongs to the children of God. Now, why would it say that? Because... In the beginning, when God created Adam, he gave him dominion over his creation. Now, everything belongs to the Lord, don't misunderstand me, but he put it in man's charge. The earth is under a lease. Once the lease is up, Jesus is coming back. Remember when the demons were dealing, Jesus was dealing with uh, demons, and they said, uh, are you going to torment us? Before the time, what does it mean, the time? Before the lease is up. Hallelujah. And I want you to know right now that the lease is coming up, praise God. Our Lord Jesus is coming back, and we're going to get some victory, praise God. 
Now, to give you another verse that supports this, you'll find this in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 8. It was when Jesus was tempted. You remember he was filled with the Spirit, and he was led to the Spirit to be in the wilderness, to be tempted of the devil, so that he can be tempted in all points like us. And the first temptation, this is after a 40-day fast, the devil said this to him. He said, why don't you turn those rocks into bread if you're the Son of God? And Jesus had just heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. God has confirmed that he is his Son. And Jesus said this, and this is what you got to do. He said, it is written. Say it with me, it is written. This is how you overcome it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? Amen? But it didn't stop there. Then in the temptation, Satan took him up on a mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. And then something very powerful happens. He tells the Lord then, he says this, he says, I will give you all the authority and all the glory that has been delivered unto me, for I can give it to whoever I want to. Where, who delivered it to him? The first Adam. When the first Adam died spiritually, the dominion of this world was handed over to Satan, and he became the god of this world. Adam originally was the god of this world in the sense that he was ruler over everything, and that's where he took it. But the good news is this, when Jesus went to the cross and rose up, praise God, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now we're going to reclaim what has been taken. We're going to take back what the devil has taken. We're going to take over kingdoms. We're going to take over lands. We're going to take over cultures. We're going to take that over and get it back under the, 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 the blessing of God in our lives. See, the blessing is more than just peace. It's more than just joy. It's more than peace in the storm. It's deliverance from the storm. It's more than peace or forgiveness. It's deliverance from sickness and disease. The blessing goes farther. It goes farther. And whatever you're struggling with today, I want you to know the blessing is more than just peace in your heart. It wants to bless you with the blessing of God in your life overflowing. Amen? Said amen. Praise God. Now, this is the key to this thing. When you study the Word, you have to have a positive view in Scripture concerning what it says. If you go to the Word with a negative attitude and all you do is see what's wrong with things, you're going to miss out because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If, if it's something I hope for, it's not something I don't want. It's something I desire. It's something that I know will bless me. Are you following me? You've got to have a positive perspective. And so when I talk about the importance of being positive, understand that perspective is taught in self-help books, in psychology. But when they say it, it means something different than when I say it. When they talk about self-esteem, it's not the same as when I talk about self-esteem. Because self-esteem in the world is different than the Christ esteem that you have in the gospel. I am what I am by Christ inside of me. I'm not magnifying me. I'm magnifying Christ inside of me. And when I talk about being positive, I'm talking about being positive about the promises of God, 
When you're facing a trial, don't you throw in the towel? Don't you start talking about how bad it is? Don't you start talking about you can't make it? Don't you start talking about it's too big for me to handle? Don't start talking about that. Start talking about the Word. Start having a good report. Start believing what God's Word says. Get a shout of the Lord with a voice of triumph. No weapon's going to form against me shall prosper. Start filling yourself up with that rather than the other so that the blessing of God can move in your life in the way that God wants you to be. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm the most positive person that God created. Now, I realize you're saying that purely by faith. <laughs> Amen. Now, I want to give you something here that will help you reign. When you teach about the promises of God in the Scripture, sometimes people get selfish, and it's all about them. I'm going to show you in the Scriptures that if you want true blessings, it isn't limited to you. It's limited to everybody else. In other words, God wants to bless you to bless other people. And one of my favorite verses in this, you can just write this down, I'll quote it to you. It says Isaiah 58, verse 9 through 8. It's a powerful verse. It says this. It says, they will call upon me and I will answer. They will cry upon me and I will say, here am I. I love that. But then he puts it on a condition. He says, if you remove the yoke that is in your midst, and then he describes what it is. The finger pony. He's not talking about the bird. He's talking about when you get critical and you find everything wrong with your wife. Don't shout me down because I'm excited. Or you find all the faults in your husband. You're just not as good as you used to be, babe. You keep making more mistakes than you did before. In fact, I've noticed that you're losing a lot of hair. No, 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 no. Now, I know we're talking about somebody besides you. Praise God. Amen. But that's what it's referring to is that negative bent where all you see is what's wrong in your job. All you see was wrong with the country. There's some good things happening in the country. There's revival in Bible schools now. People are praying and hallelujah. I'm seeing things swing back over, praise God. Amen. Amen. And, I, and it has nothing to do with what party you're in. I'm in God's party. Say Amen. But you need to see this because these are the conditions, he says, and to speak wickedness or to speak evil of people where you're destroying their character, where you're talking about them, saying bad things. That's the condition that'll stop God from hearing you. And then he goes on, and I like this. He says, and then your light will, will dawn in the darkness. Ooh, how would he be light dawn in the darkness? That's powerful. And in the darkness, he says, it'll be like the noonday. In other words, in your trial, it's going to be like it's not even happening. The blessing's going to be on your life so much. Whatever is happening, hallelujah, Jesus is going to be there. Whew, I love this, hallelujah. And then he says this, and I think it's very powerful. He says, in the Lord, the Lord is going to guide you in all things. Now watch this. And satisfy you in drought. Satisfy you in times of leanness. Satisfy you when there's not a lot of abundance around. 
He's going to satisfy you. And then he says he'll strengthen your bones. Do you know your bones are what creates healthy blood? If you got healthy bones, you got healthy blood. And healthy blood heals your body. Amen? He said, I'm going to strengthen you. And I'm going to heal these or, 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 or bless your bones. Wow. And then he says, you're going to be like a well-watered garden. I'm growing, hallelujah, as a spring that water comes out and never fails. He's talking about a refreshing of God, that God will give the church that is concerned more about themselves and everyone else. Because he says, if you reach your hand out to the hungry, if you stretch out the hurting person. All these things are going to happen to you. In other words, if I'm helping other people, if I'm blessing other people, God is going to, am I in the right church or whatever? This, this is good. I love to preach. I love to see your needs met, but I love it when the church is able to bless other people. Amen. And we had a board meeting a couple weeks ago and we were able to give $14,000 away to different ministries that are in need. It's powerful. God wants you so prosperous that when you go to the restaurant, the Lord says, I want you to give that waitress a $100 tip. Okay. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying that it's so nice to be able to bless someone. Hey, just borrow my truck. No problem. I got another car. No big deal. God wants us to be blessed like that. And I love this because, let me, give you, let me show you why this is important. How many here know the difference between the prayer of petition and the prayer of intercession? The prayer of petition is when you pray about something concerning yourself. The prayer of intercession is when you pray for other people. And I don't want to have an altar call with hands here, but... How many would say that I pray more for what I need than I pray for the needs of others? Don't shout me down because I'm preaching great right now. Fantastic, great. I want you to not only pray for yourself. I want you to intercede for the world around us. Did you know that no one comes to Christ unless someone prays for him? So what do you mean? Just get out of your Baptist thinking. The calling of God that God calls us to is a direct result of prayer. When the church prays, God draws. When the church prays, God saves. When the church prays, blessings come to pass. And let me prove it to you. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul said, my heart's desires, all of Israel would be saved. That's what he prayed for. All of Israel would be saved. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, when he was being stoned, said, Father, hold this sin not against them. Why? He's praying for their salvation. He's praying for them to get saved and set free. We got to be praying for our children that they get saved when they get older. I know they're sweet and lovely and they love Jesus right now. Are they going to love Jesus when they're 18? Are they going to love Jesus when they're 20? Are they going to love Jesus when they're 25? You pray. You pray. You pray. You open up. Now, that's not the only thing. You got to do more than pray. I said you got to do more than pray. Remember Romans chapter 10? 
This is powerful. It says, how can they call upon him if they do not believe? How can they believe without hearing? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can you preach unless you're sent? According to Scripture, it says, as it is written, how blessed are the feet of those that preach good news. That's not just me. That is every one of us here. Nothing happens until we preach the word to them. We got to preach the God. I don't want to offend them. You got to preach the word of God to them. You got to let them know that Jesus died on the cross for them, that God rose them up on the third day, and that if they confess him, Lord, they'll become new creatures in Christ Jesus, and God will put his Holy Spirit within them. You got to preach the gospel. You can't just try to get a sinner to look better, to act better. They got to come to the end of themselves. They got to hear the truth. That without Christ, you can't be saved. Without Christ, you can't get delivered. Without Christ, you cannot have eternal life. Without Christ. We got to pray. We got to pray. I remember when I was at Bible school, I, in those days, they didn't have what we have today, but you couldn't, you know, they didn't have portable phones and all that stuff, and and so what I did is I took a, a cassette player and I spoke a, a, some truth on the cassette and sent it to my sister and her brother-in-law, or my brother-in-law. And it was pretty heavy. I said, you're going to go to hell unless you accept Christ. There's no second chance after death. You've got to accept Christ. And I'm weeping while I'm sharing this on this tape, and I said it to her. They didn't get saved right then. But I sowed a seed, prayed for their salvation. It was years later. They said, well, we, we want to come to your church. It was a smaller church we were in. They come and they sat up in the front row. Let to get people in the front row. I was preaching heavy, hard, hellfire, brimstone. I was preaching powerful. And I remember anyone who wanted to accept Christ. And they got born again. Can you say amen? amen? Someone's got to tell them the truth. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. Oh. We don't want to offend the yoke movement. I want to get the yoke movement saved. Thank you in the back there. Appreciate that. Little bit over there, praise God. Listen, they're no different than we were. It just seems worse because we're Christians. They need Jesus. They're blind. The people don't do what they're doing if they can see. They're, they're, they're walking around like this. I don't know what a male is, what a female is. I don't know what that is. Oh, I don't know what sex I am. They're blind, man. Let's pray. Let's pray. Because God desires to save them just like he desired to save you in your life. Now, let me wind this thing down. I want to give you the revelation I got on the way here, which I don't like preaching like this, but this is what happened. It was something that had been troubling me for quite a while. And it has to do with the word being put in your mouth and so forth. How many remember the story of when God appeared to Moses in the birdie bush? 
He said, who's go-? when they asked me who, who, who told, me, told me this, who am I going to tell him? He says, tell him I am sent you. And you see that phrase, I am, used throughout Scripture. I am, I am, I am, I am. I am the resurrection, truth, and the life. Amen? I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is an expression of God. And what I was studying in, I was just meditating on this. It's a prayer in Ephesians, the third chapter. It's a prayer that Paul prayed for the church all the time in it. And it goes like this, kind of, it's, he said, I'm praying that, that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And then this part is what caught me. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Now that, wait a minute. These aren't unchurched people. These are Christians. The Holy Ghost is in them. These are the people that came out of the Ephesus revival. The anointing was so strong. Paul was doing special miracles. He was taking his sweatband and his apron, laying on the sick, and they were getting healed. These are people that make the charismatics today look like they're dead. And he says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the breadth and the height and the love of God and so forth. How can Christ dwell in me through faith when he's already here? He's talking about a manifestation of Christ. He's talking about a manifestation of Jesus. He's talking about a manifestation of Jesus in your marriage, a manifestation of Jesus on your job, a manifestation of Jesus in your decisions, a manifestation of Jesus where the anointing of God and Christ is manifested in your decisions, what you do in your life. It all comes by faith in this word. When we have faith in this word, Jesus manifests in it. He puts his word in your mouth, and your word becomes as powerful as his Because there's a manifestation of Jesus when you declare it, when you say it, when you speak it. Oh, hallelujah. Well, that got me pretty pumped up. You can imagine I'm driving to church. My wife is talking about things I don't... Anyway, it was heavy. Christ in you. I got to come down here. Do you understand what I mean by that? Whether you feel it or not, if you're a believer, Christ is inside of you. But there's a difference between Christ being in you and there's a manifestation of Jesus inside of you. Where people see the glow of God inside of you. When you say something in faith, they feel the power of Jesus moving in those words. They see the power of Jesus in your service. They see the power in Jesus in your love for your wife. They see, come on, they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why? Because Paul said, I labor more than all of you, but not I, but Christ in me. I am that I am by the, the grace of God. I am, I am. In other words, 
I am an overcomer because Christ is inside of me. I am your healer because Christ is inside of me. I, I am more than a conqueror because of Christ inside of me. Glory to God. Do you see that? And I know the difference. I always remember this. When you fight in faith, you always win. When you fight in the flesh, the devil always wins. When you allow your circumstances to determine your belief by what you see, by what you feel, by what you've heard from the negativity side of your situation, your faith never wins. But if you fight in faith, you fight in the invisible realm. And you don't look at what is seen, you look at things that are unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal, because Christ is eternal. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, praise God. And that, that power always works in your life. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.